Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada, and I'm with Dan Rudman, and we are in episode two of a series on evangelism. Um, and it's we're during the coronavirus uh, pandemic, so we are locked up in our homes. Uh, Dan's down in Kansas. I'm up in North Dakota. Uh, we're not we're not too technologically advanced, but we somehow figured out a way to do remote podcasts, which is pretty cool. Um, again, people have been doing that for a while, but it's pretty uh, it's a pretty good thing that we figured it out because we don't really know much around the technology world. But if you remember from episode one, if you listened to it, hopefully you did. We, we focused that episode on really the content of evangelism. Uh, what is evangelism? We, we defined it as a proclamation of the gospel. And, and we, we, so then we went in on to explain the content of the gospel, what is contained within the gospel. And then eventually we even went into really answering the questions of why do we preach the gospel? You know, what is it doing in somebody's life? And how is somebody actually saved? Um, and so that those are those are huge questions, and those are questions that everybody should should know the answer to. So I really, if you haven't uh, listened to that first episode, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that first. But that's what we that's what we were focusing on with episode one. And you could say that uh, you could say that uh, the theme was theological motivations for sharing the gospel. So I kind of want to wanted to wrap that up a little bit and talk again about content. And so we're going to go to Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading from verse 6. And it says this, and Paul is writing to the, the Galatians, and says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I, were trying to, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we are, here we have a pretty, uh, a pretty like serious, serious statement by Paul, uh, and the context really is around Galatians. He's writing to these this these group of Christian called called the Judaizers, and they were Jewish Christians, so ethnically Jewish, uh, and they were going back to Jewish law. Hey, you need to be circumcised, or you need this, or they were adding works to the gospel. You know, the gospel is that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. There is no amount of work that you can add into this to get to to get to salvation, to receive eternal life. And so they, having been saved by the true gospel message, the message that we talked about in the episode one, um, of this series, after being saved by that message, they started to go back to their traditions, their Jewish traditions, and think, ah, you know, I really actually think that maybe we need to be circumcised as well. So, you know, we also need this or that or this or that. So they were adding things to it. And Paul's saying, no, why are you going back? Why are you leaving this, this so quickly leaving this and deserting this? Um, and he's saying there is actually no other gospel. So, you know, we hear all about these false gospels, you know, the prosperity gospel, the no lordship gospel, all this, all these other gospels, but there really is no other gospel. There's only one gospel that saves. So that's just to emphasize this reality that when we go evangelize, 
and we proclaim this gospel, it's it's a it's one message. It's a consistent message, and it has to have the utmost integrity. We can't morph it or change it or mold it how we want and take the edges off of it or just you know like ah oh, yeah. This is a little bit too offensive for the people that I hang out with. So maybe I'm going to, you know, tweak it a little bit. Maybe I'm going to get rid of this idea of, you know, eternal punishment or get rid of this idea of repentance or, you know, get rid of some of these things because it's just, ah, I don't know. I just don't think my friends or the people I hang out with are going to really like this message. And that's why verse 10 in chapter 1, what Paul is saying is so important. For he goes, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to, still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So that's the danger with evangelism. You know, we see these people who are dead, and we know, we talked about this before, we know that, man, nobody's going to accept this message. Nobody's going to turn and repent unless God makes them alive, unless the Spirit comes with power and conviction. So it's going to be an offensive message, and it's going to be rejected by everyone who is not made alive in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we should not worry about trying to, you know, take off the edges and change it so that it's a little bit more palatable for people, and they can swallow it a little better. So that's the... That's what we're trying to say here is the content of this of the gospel um, and when we evangelize it has to have the utmost integrity. We can't change this gospel message. It's one message. I mean I was rant I kind of went off on a rant there, Dan. Do you have anything to add about that? No, I I'm just I'm listening and enjoying it, writing a few notes too. So <laughs> No, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have much more to add to that other than, you know, of course, Paul, I mean, that would be another discussion, I guess, but you know, Paul's pretty straightforward here. You know, you, you anybody accepts any other gospel, they are to be accursed. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then later on, he, he gives this really strong word about, you know, if you're going to even go back to circumcision, why don't you go ahead and do what all the pagans around you are doing, and that is castrating themselves. You know, they do this for yeah. these other gods. And and he's not being like uh, sinfully cursing pejorative. He's making a serious point that they would know. There's these pagan relate world around them that actually did that. It's kind of crazy. Right. They make themselves eunuchs and all sorts of stuff. And he says, listen, yep. I mean, if that's what's really what you feel you need to do. And some of those members, or you said it, that, you know, this is Galatia. So it represented a very Gentile pagan world. And so there was a mixture there. There was also a Judaistic influence yeah, yeah. there. So yep. not we're not getting into a study of Galatians. But the point being is that they would know what he meant on a, a number right. of things. And so he, it's just a strong word. I mean, you think yeah. about oh. that. And so I, what I meant by a different note is sometimes when we get into these discussions in a modern world or postmodern world, really, you know, we're not supposed to step on toes or something. And it's like, well, I don't want to unduly do that. I mean, I really, I like right. to be liked and I want to be kind. And But sometimes you got to look at something and go, you know, you're just wrong. You really yeah. are wrong. And to the point that this is just false and it, and it should, right. it should bother us. Like, no, that's right. not, the, that's right. not the true gospel. You know, you, once again, Sam, you've traveled with me like in Africa and we, and you see this, you see people bringing things there. That oh, it's just, man. And it's disturbing. It's disturbing. It's very disturbing. You know, we saw a big billboard of a guy in a city. You know, we don't need to labor it, but 
we I thought, huh, even the statement on the billboard made me suspicious. So we looked the guy up, remember right. that? And it's like, well, this oh, guy. Oh, man. You can, you can tell by the shirt that he was wearing. Oh, come I mean, on. Be careful be, now. I don't want to be so sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be, be careful. I don't want to get in trouble. But the point is, the point is, is, is it's, it, it bothers you. You're there and you're like, these people need the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't need right. to be told that if you do this, you get to fly jets and have clean clothes and, and health and prosperity. Oh, and it should absolutely just... disturb us. The, this yeah, stuff should absolutely. disturb us. And, right. and so at least, I don't know, maybe God wires some of us differently. For some of us, it really disturbs. Now, you gotta oh, handle, you got to handle that. It's my lunch. we got to handle that in a spirit-filled way. I understand that. But it's still, you got to be able to go, that is just wrong. <laughs> well, and and Paul is he's, he's he's he can't say this any I don't want to say the word harsher but seri- like more serious he's saying hey listen up if I even come back to you me Paul the one that brought you this gospel and I preached you a different one mm-hmm. don't listen to me let me the apostle Paul be accursed or an yeah. angel <laughs> or yeah. an angel from heaven anybody yes that's, that's a great you point, a different go- yeah. oh it's like you this is so he he's He's she, he's stressing this so much. That yeah, there is no other gospel. Yeah, and, and if you preach another, here's what's at stake. If you preach another gospel, no, no other gospel saves. So right. you're not going to save anybody. Nobody's going to be saved. The spirit's not going to use that word to regenerate right. somebody. Right. They, God uses the true gospel. Yeah, and I so think what just, I would the only thing I'd add to it. Um, again, podcast. We don't have a perfect outline. We have we're just having this discussion, right? And that yeah. is. Another part of this that kind of gets, uh, what's the word I'm trying to use? It's there. Okay, so here we are, Paul speaking to Christians in the church. Yep. And there was muddy water coming into the church. You know, theologically Mm -hmm. muddy stuff was coming in, and it was wrong. And I always refer to often um, 1 John, right? 1 and 2 and 3 John. He's writing... Uh, and he's writing there, and he's addressing Christians in the church, and he's addressing mm-hmm. false teaching called what we call Gnosticism. Yep. Okay. Right. So, but the point is, is that you find that throughout the scriptures, there's these false ideas are coming in that have to be countered, and so we have the same thing today. We have this, you know, the swath movement we call Christianity, and then within that, there's these slices, and you know, and and. Sam, you and I would represent, you know, a Protestant evangelical, what we would say is a historically biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. But even in that, the point is, is that muddy water comes in, mm-hmm. and there's things that need to be corrected, and mm-hmm. that's another discussion for another day. But when we get into issues of worldview, and we get into mm-hmm. issues of um, a muddied gospel, and what a Christian is supposed to be. Uh, uh, presenting and so what you find fascinating. Um, I remember a, a number of missionary uh, leaders that I know in missions would would have said this. And there's a quote, and I can't remember who the quote would be be attributed to, but it's like the largest secularizing force in the world was the Western missionary movement. <laughs> yeah. And again, I'm not trying to get on a pedestal, and because I've been part of it, and I'm sure we've all made mistakes. The point of it is, is that this stuff gets carried. So we have ideas that are false, that are muddy water right here in the U.S. 
And often young people, say college young people who are zealous for things, they take this idea and in the name of missions, they take a false gospel to the world. And it mm-hmm. happens, and it happens, unfortunately, a lot. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, yeah, so this gospel, this evangelism, we're talking about evangelism, this proclamation is a message that has content, that has ramifications, and we need to really be students of it. And we need to mm-hmm. be clear on what it is we're proclaiming. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, you know, on another note, Sam, it's a different, again, a different discussion, and I'm guessing we might get into it when we get into parachurch. But you think of some of the, the parachurch movements that are popular in our day that started in the 50s and 60s. You know, I think of Campus Crusade and Navigators and, you know, Crusades Now Crew and whatever. But mm-hmm. th- those mm-hmm. movement movements, and we had these wonderful leaders, and they developed these wonderful things, and there were strengths and weaknesses, like anything. But one of the things that was an interesting strength and weakness all at sort of the same time that I've noticed we've moved away from, but there was a strength in it. And that was there were particular tools, and I'm sure we'll get back to that parachurch because you know how I think about some of that. But there were tools used to say in the early days of Campus Crusade, you had, let's say, a four spiritual laws. Now, I'm not here, mm-hmm. to, criti- I'm not here to critique that. I have some conflict with some some aspects of it or how we present it. And we could have that mm-hmm. discussion later. But the point is this, is that if you're this young person, you're being handed this set of tools and said, this is the thing you talk about. This is the gospel. Mm-hmm. You These are the five things, six things, three things that you talk about. Mm-hmm. And it did, it did build into a system, a certain sense of accountability that this is what you talk about. <laughs> right. But as that's kind of loosened up, we're, oh, we don't want tools. We want to move away from that. And there's some good reasons for that. At the same time, then, you have people running around out there again, and I've watched it, and you were with me, and we saw it in other countries, with, if you will, Christian mission dollars underneath some banner of the Great Commission, actually propagating stuff that you'd be going, no, that isn't that isn't accurate. <laughs> right. And so it, right. It's, this is real. So you starting with Paul, he was... The point here is he was pretty clearly serious. And, yeah. I mean, very sharp about make sure you get this right. Yep. Yep. And the thing is, is it's not it's not an overly complex mm-hmm. message. It's actually a very simple message. Yeah. But it's a very offensive message to the world. Hmm. So that's where it just, you can see the temptation to start to you know, preach something that's not actually accurate. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll get into we'll get into that a little bit more too with with methodology and all that stuff. Sure. But yeah. I guess where I want to move on to now is is the, really answering the question: Is evangelism a call to everybody? Should mm-hmm. all Christians be evangelizing in some yeah. capacity, or is this only something that the pastor should do, or the evangelist, or you know the Billy sure. Graham type? Sure. You know, are these only Christian clergy and the people on staff at my church, or the you know the staff members at like yeah a parachurch organization like Crew? Are those the people that are supposed to be evangelizing? And the average lay Christian is like, yeah, not my gig. Sorry, I don't need to do this. Right. I'll leave it to the experts or the professionals. Um, so I want to a- answer that question, ask that question, and probe the scriptures a little bit to see is is this something that we're all supposed to be doing? Is this a call yeah. for all Christians to go yeah. and proclaim yeah. the gospel? 
Um, and I mean, I'm just going to bring us right off the bat to the Great Commission. And I'm sure if you're if you're listening to this and you've been in Christian circles for a while, you probably anticipated that that would be the first place I go to. Um, yeah. And we shouldn't think of the Great Commission as just like overused cliche. Pat, oh yeah, he's going to the Great Commission. Yeah, I get it. No. This is scripture. This is extremely important. This, these are the last words that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended. This is extremely important stuff. Um, and so we're going to go there. Matthew 28. Um, we'll start in verse 18 and says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You could say that's like an amplifier. He's amplifying it up. He's, he's send the stakes. Here's the deal. I have all authority. And now he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the main verb here is make disciples. Go make disciples, and what's what's a disciple? Well, that's a whole again. We're adding we're adding to these this list of things that we another discussion that we have to have, and that's a whole other discussion of of the word disciple or you know what is discipleship and and in the scriptures. Um, but just for the sake of brevity, a disciple is somebody who is sealed by the Holy Spirit, somebody who has been regenerated. A true Christian is a disciple. So we're all disciples if you're a Christian. Um, so go make Christians. Go make people who are spirit-sealed, spirit-filled, regenerated. That's the charge. Go make believers. Yeah. Um, and and the then que- baptize and, them. Yeah. Real quick. Well, the question would be, again, uh, tying it together, everything we've talked about in the previous one, too. If we're to go make disciples, and if you first of all say, okay, what does this word disciple mean? And we'd have to have that discussion, and it's a very important one because it gets confusing. People will technically call it a learner. And yeah. Then, but that doesn't Which is help. an aspect of it. Yes, it is. There's no question. But it's like, no, you got to go into the context when Jesus came on the scene, and it was a common word used throughout the day. And depending yeah. on the leader, the leader kind of defined what it meant to be, if you will, a follower of them or a disciple of them. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if... Again, you said in brevity, and I don't think you wanted to get off on this, but I want to get back to our first session. But it's important to understand that the be- the better word that I think, the English word, and I know there'll be some mm-hmm. international people listening to this, but the English word that I think is a better word to disciple is athlete. I always say this. Like, <laughs> okay, so your 10-year-old boy playing t-ball, are they an athlete? You know, your 12-year-old yeah, daughter yeah. who does gymnastics, is she an athlete? Uh, yeah. Is LeBron James an athlete? Okay, so at what point do you define, what point do you say, well, they are and they aren't, right? Yeah. And so this word <laughs> disciple, if you leave it at learner, you go, okay, well, how much learning do you have to be? And then somebody will say, well, really obedient. <laughs> I'm like, well, how obedient do you oh, have wow. to be? So at what right, point right. do you cross this line from you're really not a disciple? And and I think the huge mistake made in that is people think, well, well, you know, I'm a believer, but I'm not a disciple. And then you become a disciple or you get discipled. Like yeah, you're a disciple yeah. because you went through somebody's curriculum. Like going through a curriculum makes you something different. And it's like, no, 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 no. You got to go back and dig into the original language. And again, for brevity, we're not having a whole Bible study in this. But Ephesians 3, uh, 1, 13 and 14 is, is clear to me. The gospel comes. You believe on the gospel. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's yep. the down payment. You're yep. uh, in, a, in Romans 8. This 
if you have the Holy Spirit, in the sense of have the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit's in you, you've been sealed, like you said, or impregnated by the Holy Spirit, a number of ways to think about this, the Holy Spirit's with you, you're a disciple of Jesus. Now, you may be a young disciple like the t-ball player at 10. Uh, you may even have times where you've been a disobedient disciple, mm-hmm. right? But you're a disciple because the Holy Spirit lives within you. Then mm-hmm. the question, and all that, so we could talk more about that. Maybe people will have questions and we'll have to have a whole session on that and do the biblical study. But uh, let me step back. So then the question comes to what you're saying, Sam. So if we are to go make a disciple, one who has the Spirit, how do you do that? Right, and well, that's you, what we've been... Right, and the point is, is it's the proclamation of the gospel. Right. Now... Oh, this is coming together but, nicely. Oh, you know, it is. It's <laughs> nicely. You never know how this is going to go, right? Okay, but here's the beauty. Don't see, I, I'm not going to stop there because I know you want to move on. Because we would, somebody yeah, would yeah. say, oh, you just want to get people to make decisions and you're done. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're not done with the rest of the Great Commission. What else does it say? Right. Go ahead. Then we baptize them, and then we teach them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, again, and this is where we, this is like, again, we can have this whole discussion on discipleship. So there's this aspect of you can't really separate evangelism from discipleship. Once somebody's made a disciple, made a believer, then what do you do? Now you teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. Yeah, and, that's and, and the teach to observe isn't just teach them, it's teach them to actually obey it. <laughs> yeah, obey, actually it, do this. It. Be a doer of the word, not just to hear. Right. So, right. yeah. So, right, and that's that takes a lifetime. Right. And there's, there's, no, there's no point in your, in your life, here in, you know, in your temporal life, where you're going to say, yep, did it, I've obeyed yeah. all that Jesus has commanded. No, yeah. this is an ongoing thing. Yeah, so actually, now... I just want yeah, to throw, for it, throw it. it. So actually, it's, and again, this would be one of those things, I want to start with my scriptures, and I want to study my scriptures, and then I want to think through, you could say, theological yeah. categories. Yep. And if we do that, what you realize is that in a sense, even the word discipleship, you don't really like find discipleship no, as a biblical word. So right. it's a concept that's real, that's there. So what do we do with it? Well, I actually think this proclamation of the gospel, call it evangelism, is Mm -hmm. you could actually make the case, if you wanted to, arguably, Mm -hmm. that it is discipleship. It's part of this Mm -hmm. deal that I am making disciples. Well, how do I make disciples? Well, I proclaim the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then this person is regenerated. Well, I'm not done. Now I I I I I I help them identify with the body of Christ. They they enter into a body. It's not an individual thing. You've become mm-hmm. part of this this body of people. That that's where the baptism fits in. The sign of the, mm-hmm. the you know you, depending on that. Uh, that's a theological discussion, but it is a sign, a demonstration, a sealing. It, there's a lot to that. But yeah, it means it's an you're, evidence. But you're part of these people. You know, and you think yep. of Old Testament cir- circumcision, you're part of these people. It's pretty clear. And so yep. baptism was that. And then you teach them to obey everything yep. that God, Jesus has commanded, right? Right. Now, yep. okay, go on. And, because- and, then, and then he says this. Yeah. Then he says this. And this is where, okay, here's the question. This is where somebody can go back and say, hey, yeah, 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 I get it. You're right. That's what it's saying. But... That's only for the disciples. Jesus was telling the apostles that, the the original 12, you know, those guys, the, you know, those special few people. And he goes, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
and we have this very interesting phrase, end of the age, where we realize that this is something that is supposed to happen through until Jesus returns. And as far as I know, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so we're, you know, we're nearly 2,000 years removed from this. Yeah. Uh, and this is still relevant and still a command for us today to go make disciples. And we also know if we want to pull in other scriptures, I'm not going to bring us there, but we have certain, uh, you know, signs uh, that Jesus is going to return. And one of them is that uh, the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That or that somebody from every tongue, tribe, and nation has heard and responded to the gospel by faith. Sure. So there's this there's this reality that until that happens, the end of the age isn't going to come yet. That has to happen, and then the end comes. So the fact that we're sitting here now and Christ hasn't returned, you could say, is because part of it is the the fullness of God's elect ha- have not yet been brought into the fold yeah, of God. Sure. Right. Not been brought into this saving relationship. They have still yet to be found. There's still more out there that need to be found. And it's likely that there's still quite a few elect that aren't even born yet. And, yeah. and you know, we have to <laughs> we have to wait till they're born. So this is something that we do. Yeah. And well, so I, obviously, yeah, go for it. Well, no, you just exactly. You, I think you've hit that. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, but oh no, it's fine. It's hard with it's hard with these these. Uh, you know, video chats where you you don't pick up on a lot of other cues of when somebody's going to talk. I was just going to say, you know, there's this obedience to to obey everything I've commanded you. Okay. Well, you could, first of all, I would say all the Bible. Okay. So first of all, there's specific things we can look at. Jesus said throughout the gospels that we should obey. Right. And I, I want to highlight that in a moment, but I just want to make the point that I actually, um, I would say like, while people would say, well, that's the red letter edition. That those are those are the red letters. I would say, well, actually, <laughs> every word in your Bible is a red letter. <laughs> because everything is the word of God. Uh and oh, so right. so I don't want to isolate that. But 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 clearly, if you were to follow Jesus through you think of the kind of things he was saying, you know, uh the Samaritan woman went back and told everybody of the stuff that he did for her. Uh, you know, uh he talks about testifying before men, you know, uh, Matthew ten thirty two. Uh, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. You know, um, uh, Luke eight, go, go tell, go tell the people the great things that God has done for you. You know, mm-hmm. um, the demoniac, he heals. I will follow you wherever you go. I always found that fascinating. You know, you want to make a case for quote unquote discipleship, follow up, we can talk more about that in a moment. Not that I, I'm disregarding that. I'm simply saying, though, that here's Jesus. Here's this guy that say, "Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. I want to be followed up by you." In those terms, follow up, and he's yeah. going. And Jesus goes, "No, you don't need that. No. Just go, just no. go back and tell your people what God has done for you." And yep. later, if you follow the sequence, like a harmony of the Gospels, which lines all the different stories out to nicely in some chronological order, it's kind of fun. Um, uh, you you realize that yeah he probably did go back and tell a bunch of people because when Jesus kind of came back through there a whole bunch of people knew now you know and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. probably likely he did and so you see that flavor all the way through the gospels there's this people know and they run and tell their friends you know Peter mm-hmm. these guys are hey we think we found the Messiah I mean number one it's a natural movement of the heart when you discover the living God of the universe, and he has changed your heart, there's a natural impulse that the people I love, the people around me, 
I want them to know this. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been rescued. Exactly. There's a natural movement there. To, to one degree exactly. or another, there's a natural movement. And then right. Jesus certainly did tell people, go testify, go tell people uh, you know what God has done for you, and then then there's right. these strong words. You know, confess me before men, and I will confess you for my Father. So, right. even prior, if you could say prior to this command of the Great Commission, which should be clear in itself, there's a whole case to be made for. No, we we talk about this, we witness about this, and then following, if you will, the Great Commission, which we find both in Luke. Uh, uh, Luke 24, and we find it here in Matthew 28, and we find it in Acts chapter 1-8, you know, the Holy Spirit says, come on you, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the world. If you follow through yep. the book of Acts, right, there was this natural flow of testimony. It's the reason they got in trouble. If they would have kept their mouth yeah. shut, actually, that's what's <laughs> crazy about it, right? Like, the re- it wasn't, there were a lot of pagan gods in the Roman Empire, tons of gods. Right. That wasn't the problem. The problem is, is they wouldn't shut their mouth and number two, uh, first of all, they wouldn't shut their mouth. But secondly, they wouldn't shut their mouth about the fact that, no, this is Jesus. This is the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. This is the answer. Yep, he is it. God in the flesh. And, right. and that was a, you know, a threat to Caesar. Uh, that, you know, that was, that yeah. was a problem with the, with the culture. And so, I mean, it's clear without us laboring it much more, when you go through the scriptures, and you start with watching this flow with Jesus. You see the commands of the Great Commission. And then you look at that early church in Acts. This is what was happening. It was, it was a natural thing to testify about the glories and the reality of God. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, I mean, and we could add, you know, there's a, there's a handful of commis, commissatory or whatever the word is. Maybe that's not even a word. Passages like, you know, the Great Commission in, in, in Matthew. There's one, in, you mentioned the one in Acts. There's, you know, there's one in Luke. There's one in Mark. Yep. So, you know, go to the one in Mark. It says, um, he said, and he said to them, and this is, again, kind of like a parallel passage, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Yeah. So, again, you know, by the time the, the original apostles you know, died, they had only gone, you know, to really the known world, the the Mediterranean area, North Africa, you know, there's, there's legends that say that Thomas made it to Asia and to India and to China. We don't know if that's true or not. There's legends that he went there and proclaimed the gospel. So, you know, well, it wouldn't be so much, it wouldn't be so much legends. It was tradition. You mean? Yeah. Tradition. Yeah. Right. Right. Cause it did get there, but was it Thomas or not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now again, there's, and we know that well. There's still South America, North America. There's a lot of ground that hasn't yet been covered, and so he's saying yeah. all of creation to all all creatures, every person, yep. they proclaim this everywhere. So there's yeah. this reality that this is this takes the effort of a lot of people. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and again, if we know as Christians, if we know that this is the only message that saves then my goodness yep. like you're going to have to you're going to have to put a muzzle on me to keep me from not proclaiming this i don't care mm-hmm. who i am if i'm a christian i've been saved by this i'm going to start telling people yeah this isn't something i'm just going to uh, you know i have let's say i have kids and oh man i want them to be saved but i'm going to shut my mouth cuz this is the job of the pastor i i better wait for the pastor to come over yeah. and tell them the gospel so, you know, yeah. if you know yeah. the gospel you're going to tell them <laughs> sure sure so, now I would want to, you know, once we get more to methods, we aren't there yet, you know, 
you had a little bit of a flow for our time here. Um, sure. One thing I'd want to say just right now before somebody, oh, I want to be sensitive. I think of again. Yeah. Let me. Let me. Because I agree with you, Sam. I agree with you with this affection within our souls and this movement. I'm not disagreeing whatsoever. But there's no question. People have different personalities, and some people are more afraid and they're more introverted. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dismiss that. That's real. And say, oh, oh you need to be like me, you know. And I'm like, no, right. I'm a big mouth. I'm kind of an extroverted guy. Sometimes I embarrass right. myself. I wish I was more introverted sometimes, you know. And so yep. I want, we'll get to that when we talk about method. Yeah, we will. We will. But but right now we we're talking about, and I hear I and I hear you. I mean, I know you. You're, pet, you're, you're talking about this internal affe- affection that moves us and drives us and compels us to say, we want people to know this. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we're not saying everybody needs to go on a street corner and scream to everybody. <laughs> That's not right. what we're saying. Okay, no, right? I not mean, we're all. not. We're saying more, we're hoping that this uh, affection, this stirring is in the soul. And we would like to think that, number one, it's it tends to be pretty natural for the person truly regenerated, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, it, it it clearly is a command and a movement, a command first and foremost, and then a movement you see throughout the whole early church and the history of the church. Yeah, uh, you, it, it, you just do. And so- you just do. Yep. So at this point, that's that's more the point I think you're saying, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And we'll get to the nuances of methodology and yeah. when and you know who to evangelize, who not to evangelize. Like, yeah. do yep. I do it in one shebang? Do I do I you know draw out this gospel presentation over a yep. course of a year? I don't know. Like. There's a lot to talk about there, but let's move on. Like, you know, like you said, we kind of, I mean, before we started this, we kind of just drew out a little bit of an outline, but now let's kind of transition into gifting. Yeah. Because here again, and this, this ties in with, is this for everybody or is this just for a select few that should be doing these evangelizing? Yeah. Because we want to know, the question is, is, is there such thing as a spiritual gift or a gift of evangelism? Is that, is that something biblical? I mean, you have some insight on that, Dan. You think I do? <laughs> oh, I think you do. You say you're not a guru, but I might think otherwise. <laughs> well, well, you know, we have these lists in the scriptures. Uh, what do we have? We have uh, Romans 12. We have 1 Corinthians 12. What's the other one? Is it Romans? I was trying to remember where it was. Uh, 1 Peter 4 touches on it. Of course, Ephesians 4. I, somehow I think yeah. there's another, another brief list. Okay, but the point is this. Simple point is this. Here we're talking about the Great Commission, right? And we're talking about this huge command of Jesus to go into all the world. And then we see the entire movement of the book of Acts of going into the world with this gospel. And again, we could labor it. I don't think we need to. It is central to this entire mission of Jesus, that he would be proclaimed throughout the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I just find it fascinating that if that's the case, this is so central, and it is, that then you go to this list of spiritual gifts, and I find it interesting. It's an interesting, I can't go beyond that and say, isn't it interesting you don't find in those lists of gifts a gift, a specific gift of evangelism? Right. You don't find it. Right. Now, I, I, heard I have people, a pretty I, practical reason for that. Yeah, and I have thoughts about that. Now, I've I say that because early on in my Christian life, people say, oh, you have this gift of evangelism. And I'm like, what does that mean? 
because oh, yeah, I remember I even, I even said that about myself. Like, yeah, I have the gift of evangelism. Yeah, and then I wonder what does that mean? Um, and so the reason I, I I'm cautious about it. Um, so first of all, could there be a gift of evangelism? I've heard people even say, well, there's this gift of personal evangelism, and then there's a gift of, you know, a proclamation standing in front of thousands of people. You know, that ac- it may actually be true. All I'm saying that if I want to start with my scriptures, I don't find it scripture. That doesn't right. mean it doesn't mean it isn't true. It doesn't mean like when Paul lists the these lists of gifts or other gifts besides the one listed. I just find it interesting, like the key ones. Okay, now. I will come back to Ephesians 4 in a minute. Some of you say, well, yeah, there's one in the list, Dan. It's it's the, the evangelist in Ephesians 4. Yeah. Let me come back to that in a moment, okay? I'm talking about right now evangelism, and I've heard all sorts of seminars and discussions. Again, I've been around this this evangelistic world my entire, most of my Christian life and my professional life. So I've heard it. Yep. And I'm not totally throwing it all out. I just want to say, though, that the concern that I know you have, Sam, and this is a concern I have, and many of my fellow, you know, evangelistic, evangelist kinds of friends would have, mm-hmm. is I, I fear somebody looks at somebody like me and says, "Oh, you have this gift of evangelism. I don't have that gift," and so therefore mm-hmm. it excuses people from being engaged in evangelism. Mm-hmm. And I want to go. Well, first of all, um, we already touched on personality. We'll come back to that all of that stuff later in methodology. It would be like me saying, well, I don't have a gift of mercy. So I guess when I see somebody laying in the street, I just kick them. (laughs) I'm like, come on. Oh, I don't have a gift of intercessory prayer, so I'm not supposed to pray. Well, no. The whole body works together, and there are emphases on different people that they do maybe something a little bit better than somebody else. But part of that within the whole body is that the whole body would be full and each part of the body would influence the other part of the body. Well, there, there it is right there, Dan. Isn't that, I mean, again, I'm making an assumption, yeah. just, but it's just intriguing that the spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the body, for the edification of the body. Yeah. So it's, the gifts are used in, they're used for our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters. Yeah. So I would like I would like to think a in brother, a, a brother of mine, for example, that's gifted. Let's say in, we say intercessory prayer. I've met people; they're very yeah. unique people, and you know they could spend hours alone with God praying. I've met some of these people; it's crazy. I met this one woman. Yeah. I sat in a seminar with her. She literally built this little chapel behind her house. Her name was Mary Lance Sisk. Fascinating gal. She prayed through every county, every single county in the country, on a map. Over, I forget how many years that revival would come to every specific county in every single state. And she would sit there for hours a day praying. Yeah. Dude, like, I'm like Jesus' disciples. You get me praying long enough, and I'm either going to get distracted or I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm like one of the apostles. <laughs> I'm like, so, well, I, and, and I, so I have to really work at it. I, and I, do. I would rather make a case for the fact that that's a, dis, a discipline that's been learned and in, 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 uh, grown over well, it could years. Be. It could be. What I'm trying to do is I'm even trying to just – I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing. I'm, but I want to just say maybe there's a natural gift to a natural – bent towards that. Yeah, you, yeah you're kind of... But but what I'm saying is that doesn't exclude me from having to work at the discipline of it. And further, right. further, even me sharing the story with you, she inspires me. She encourages me. She, I needed to hear from her. That, that exactly. was a, that was a great ministry to me to hear somebody doing that going, I need to, I need to like up the game here a little bit. 
And so part yeah. of the body and the edification is somebody else who's strong in something who helps me kind of rise because the goal at the end of the day is all of us are to become into the image of Christ. It's not about me becoming solely what like I'm gifted in in me. It's, it's yeah. ultimately we're all to become like Christ. And so, right. so how I become like Christ is a woman like Mary Lancis who probably has some bent towards or giftedness in this area of prayer. Uh, she exhorts me. She encourages me. She, you know, and exactly. So, so I would say, of course. So evangelism potentially could be like that. Now, with that said, though, um, the work of the evangelist is an interesting thing, and I've spent, I really have spent decades thinking about this and reading and studying this, and it doesn't make me, you know, the authority on it. But I just find it fascinating that, apart from evangelism, which you don't see listed as a gift. You see three mm-hmm. times the word evangelist mm-hmm. mentioned in the scriptures. You find Philip mm-hmm. called the evangelist, and he yep. was talking to people. But it also says during the time of the persecution, everybody went and preached, you know, as they spread through the yeah. persecution in, in Acts 8. And then you're, uh, Timothy is told to do the work of the evangelist, if you remember. Yep. Do the work of oh, the evangelist. Yep. And you have to say, well, Second what's that Timothy mean? chapter 4. Yeah, and, and and but that's in the context of he being a young pastor, of uh, being sound yeah. in doctrine. He, he was of, just told to preach the word. Yep, yeah, and do and so fulfill somehow, your ministry, do the work of the evangelist. Right. So the point is, is both of those passages I've already mentioned, Philip and Timothy, we don't have like a clear definition. Yeah, they're they're doing the work, whatever that is. The one place we have is Ephesians yep. four, where right. God gives right. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, yep. teachers, pastors slash teachers, really. I mean, it's kind of one and the same, maybe a little nuance one way or the other. And then it, that whole chapter has to do with the unity of the body of Christ, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then God gives these, these callings, and they look like leaders to me, in fairness, like leadership mm-hmm. callings, that's where I would lead. And I know that's a discussion too, but that's where I would lead. These are leadership callings. But notice why they're given. That's the key. Ephesians 4, 11. Why, why are these things given? Are you looking there? I hear your, your Bible flipping. Yeah, I'm flipping to it, but you should go there too. I think we should camp on it a bit. It's really important. Well, it, well yeah. Uh, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, pastors slash teachers. And then 12 is the one place that there's some sense of a, a definition of this work for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to mm-hmm. the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge right. of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So there's this maturity of this body of Christ, okay? And God gives these leadership roles for the maturity of this body. And so specifically there, what what is the evangelist's role for the equipping of the saints? So yeah. the ev- evangelist is given for the Christians. Isn't that interesting? Yep. And that's what it says there. So then you would ask right. the question, well, what does that mean? And again, I've spent, you know, because it's my kind of my little wheelhouse that I spent a lot of time in, I've, I've dwelt on this a lot. I've, I've meditated and thought a lot about this. And I would, I would say certainly could there be that the evangelist has 
an ability to share the gospel more readily with people. And maybe God puts people in his, that person's life. That could be. It very well could be. Mm-hmm. And it might, it might be. I don't want to uh, dismiss that. But mm-hmm. perhaps the reason God does that is that person that's the evangelist has this, coming back to this word I've used quite a bit in our podcast, affection. And his affection mm-hmm. tends, tends to be the outward expansion of the gospel of Christ. He wants the gospel to go to the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's his driving passion. And he's plopped down in the middle of the body to both be involved with evangelism for sure, but also to demonstrate it to people, to go, oh, this is how you do it. Uh, this is mm-hmm. how the body keeps moving in this. Even a creativity in that and an ability to see beyond the walls of the church. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's an equipping. You could say some of it's training, some of it's vision, some of it's motivation, just like Mary Lance Sisk in prayer motivated the rest of us. She did seminars to teach us about prayer. Well, that's the role of the evangelist. And so in my mind, my the way I see this is I see it like, where are the evangelist search committees? I sort of joke about that sometimes. Like it, this, in my early days, I shared my testimony a little bit earlier. I, I had this weird, strange thing because I came to faith in Christ, if you will, outside of the formal church. And then later I got involved with the church, but I couldn't figure out how I fit in this thing because yeah, I, wanted yeah. to go out, I wanted to go out in the streets with the gospel. I wanted to go to yeah. the world with the gospel. And I, I kept thinking, well, no. And then I at I, I, one time thought, maybe I'm being called to Christian ministry. I'd have people tell me that. So I'd go look at seminaries. Well, they train pastors. I'm like, well, then I really yeah. don't want to be a pastor of a church. I want to go out in the world with the gospel. And so yeah. through a whole series, and maybe you're going to camp there. I don't know. But um, I think the I, I came to the conclusion that I actually think biblically, and then I would make a case historically, there is a calling called the evangelist. And uh, his 80-20, if I could use that term, that's another way I'd look at it. His 80-20 yeah. is an outward expansion of the gospel to the world. He sees it. He sees it. He he does have a propensity, a, an ability maybe to connect to the outside world. But he also wants God's people, in the sense of equipping the saints, to see the outside world and to move there. And mm-hmm. so added to that, I would throw one more thing on the, on the table then that I found very fascinating. It was a guy by the name of J. Robert Clinton. Some may know his name, but he did a lot of really detailed, definitive studies on leadership. And a mentor of mine was a man by the name of Gordon Clank, uh, Dr. Gordon Clank. Mm-hmm. He was one of the uh, first ever to be on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and he was one of my seminary professors, and we became really good friends. And he had taken me personally through um, much of J. Robert Clinton's leadership stuff, his early stuff. I have all these early manuals, these big, fat, two-inch manuals. It was fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. That guy was so detailed. He is so gifted. J. Robert Clinton and Gordon Clank. But the thing I learned from those men, I realized one, one thing that stood out to me amongst other things was that if you took all these leaders and Clinton, uh, uh, Clinton had studied like literally, I forget at that point, 25 years ago, a number of thousands of, le- thousands of leaders, historic leaders, biblical mm-hmm. leaders, and then contemporary leaders. And beyond this this foundational stewardship that all leaders are called to, they tended to fall in one of two categories as he kind of, you know, diagrammed it out. And it makes sense to me. One was what Mm -hmm. he called um, a shepherd model leader. And the other one was a Mm -hmm. harvest model leader. And it was an Hmm. 80, it was, it was really fascinating and you could see it. It was like an 80, 20, meaning like 
the, the, the shepherd model was 80% concerned on the inward focus of the Great Commission, you know, the baptizing mm-hmm. and the obedience and, and protecting and caring for the people. And of course, there's some different nuances of shepherding. Some is more teaching, some are more counseling, pastoral. Counseling, yeah. You know, there's, yep. st- there's differences there amongst even the shepherds, but, but, they're, but they tend to be more inward focused and maybe 20% outward focused. But yeah. then, you, then you'd find these people that would fall into this, you know, all his detailed study, the harvest model, you know, and they're 80-20. And this is where I found myself like, well, I, I do care about the internal reality of my community, my body of Christ. I mean, these are my people, you know, I would give my, like, yeah, like I yeah. give my life for them. But like my big burden is the people on the outside, you know, I, mm. I, I see this world out there. I'm like, and I, so I think about it. I'm a young Christian. I don't, I really don't know a lot about the Bible. Don't know a lot about theology. I start attending a church within maybe the first year, 18 months that um, uh, I, I come to faith in Christ out of the university. And I'm hearing and watching all this stuff. And, and the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, but when do we go out there into the world to find people right, like me? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, and I'm asking this question, and I was always kind of a, you know, I was I was kind of an odd duck, I guess. But it's like I didn't understand. Like, okay, we come here, it's great, singing, worship, it's super. But like, there's a world out there. Can we go out there? And and so from day one, I always felt that way. And then I could walk yeah. into a room, and I would find people like you, Sam, in fairness, and others mm-hmm. that would go, "Well, that guy's a harvest model guy." I mean, like mm. he's just thing. So I actually think my my uh, little. I don't think it's a heresy for the day, but my kind of small little <laughs> opinion idea on this is that I do think there's people that play the role, a role of a pastor in a church. But yep. if, you, if you looked at their giftedness, my guess is they're more harvest model. And mm. many of those men are men maybe we've heard of that tend to even lead their churches more, maybe even what we would think, and that's another discussion, but you know, a seeker sensitive kind of thing that some people get nervous about. But I think it wouldn't surprise me, the guys leading those movements that are reaching out to many, many people with a seeker model or some kind of effective, let's get into the community, let's reach people. Yeah. It, it wouldn't shock me. I don't know. I don't have some sur- perfect survey. But it wouldn't shock me. A lot of those guys are actually harvest model leaders in the role yeah. of a pastor. And so they tend to their yep. church tends to have that bent, you know? Yeah. And, and yep. so coming back full circle, if, I, if we want to, camp with the Bible, if this whole thing's about the unity and God gives all of these um, leaders, I would say all these leaders need to be somehow engaged with the body of Christ so it becomes mature and full. And again, mm. I would sort of sort of jokingly, but sort of honestly going, hey guys, where's the evangelist search committees? I would like yeah. to think that we could go into churches and go, there's an evangelist. I, I got an email from a good friend of mine last night, and I know this gets people nervous, but Maybe you'd call it evangelist. I think he'd lean more towards this this giftedness of an apostle, meaning not an apostle with a capital A, but the guy is a, a church planting machine. Sure. And he wrote a whole article to me about last night. I mean, I remember traveling with him in the 90s. His name's Rich Corral, and I just I highly esteem this man. But I mean, at that point, when I was with him in the 90s, in like nine years, through the work he was involved with there, they saw like... 900 or a thousand churches planted in like 10 years. It's crazy. 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 I mean, the guy just had this, this vision for it. He could see it. He could put his hands on it. He was like this green beret guy. He was less concerned about the long term. I mean, he, he wasn't, um, no, 
on the front end, it was the Green Beret thing. Like, we got to get these churches up. And if they have the gospel and they have the Holy Spirit and they have the scriptures, they're good to go. And mm. they'll figure out the doctrine. It wasn't like he didn't care about doctrine. His point was, though, that's, right. the, that's the next follow-up. Now, they'll be taken over, taken over, if you will, led by pastors and evangelists. But we need the more apostolic, is how he would think of it, person sure. that wants to take this thing and spread it out there in the world. Now, maybe some mm. would say that's more uh, the evangelist. I don't want to quibble about that debate today, but... But my point is, is the guy clearly needs to be around the body of Christ to help the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Think about this and not get so inward focused. But right. what you find, you know, uh, there's different ways to think about it since, you know, Constantine, really, some could say it that way. I think my friend would, would say that. But it, again, I don't want to quibble about that. The point being is that much of what we do can get really inward focused. Yep. And that's what the nation of Israel did. They got so inward well, focused, you know. And it's like, I think God gives the evangelist to come into the center of the body to, to, to say, no, come on, let's think out the outside. Let's think about the outside. Let's think about the outside. And at the same time, God gives that pastor teacher to say, yeah, evangelist, but we need to care for our people on the inside too. And mm-hmm. I'll be you know, you're right. In our maturity, mm-hmm. in our maturity, we need to realize that not everybody in this room is going to go out and be a motor mouth about Jesus. Not everybody is, yeah. and and that's okay. Right. It's okay. It doesn't mean we should have a burden for evangelism, but and I think you know, sometimes the local pastor, we we as an evangelist need to hear that side of it. And then so to be, I would my my dream and textbook, you know, of coming to the scripture and saying, <laughs> no, my dream would be like, no, there would be evangelists, and even if you want to say apostles or church planners, they'd be in the center, if you will of leadership in churches helping give influence and discussion within the context of even local churches to right. influence. So what you're doing up in North Dakota right now, connected to Cody Weckerly there at uh, mm-hmm. Harvest Plains Church, you're like right. this young, growing, developing evangelist, and Cody's yeah. given you this place to flourish within that right. local new body. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, and that, and that will, I mean, we're going to, I'm not going to let us go there yet because we'll go there because I, oh, yeah. do I want to go there is this whole discussion of, yeah, the parachurch and the, the role of the evangelist connected to the local church. Yeah. And we'll get there because we've, we've, it yeah. seems as though America has created in the American church, like you said, where's the evangelist church committee? And now you have all these people, these leaders that are, you know, they're, they're, they're called by God to be that evangelist leader guy. And they don't find a place in the local church where they should. Right. And now they're, they end up developing a parachurch organization like crew because they need to, they need to fulfill this ministry of evangelism. Yeah. And, and then, so then now you create this parachurch, you know, local church dynamic, which is, it's very interesting. We're going to talk about it, but I know it's, it's, and here's, here's another like thing that I see too. And, and again, I'm, I'm just kind of like, teasing everybody a little bit here because we're we're nearly at an hour and I'll probably wrap this one up pretty quick and then we'll move into this these types of discussions in probably episode three but you know you start to for instance if you don't have an evangelist on staff at a church or if he's not a part of the primary leadership and, and you don't have somebody that's in leadership that's thinking outwardly and that 80 20 split kind of thing that Dan was saying the the pastor inevitably, 
who let's just say he's he's the classic shepherd, so he's eighty percent inward focus, twenty percent outward focus. And right he's and right, re- rightfully so, rightfully so. Rightfully so, rightfully so. Yep. Rightfully so. He is the he's doing his job well. Yep. He understands though that hey, evangelism is still extremely important and we still need to reach the lost. You could see the temptation to start to change his Sunday morning worship service to start to try to yeah I'm going to I'm going to still shepherd my flock but yet I still want to cater to the non-believer and be evangelistic so then he starts to change his worship service where where he's starting to make it more <laughs> you know more palatable to the non-believer and try to make it more seeker sensitive and we'll get into right. that phrase seeker sensitive what the yeah. heck does that mean <laughs> and you can start to see that, oh man, now the the flock, now the believers, they're getting malnourished. They're not getting fed this this meat and the bone that they should be getting fed because the pastor has started to subtly shift the worship service to cater towards the non-believer. And I mean, again, I'm just kind of laying that out there as something that's an idea in my head, something that I kind of start to see in yeah. these local churches. I'm not saying anything specifically yeah. or calling anybody out. See, and that's but where... I'm saying, that's where when oh you talk, go for it oh well just you know the seeker sensitive in certain circles and I'm in some of these friends circles and I understand it's kind of like I understand this it's it's like a curse word you know the seeker sensitive movement look what's yeah. happened it's blowing up okay so I understand like I said I I understand the frustration with certain aspects but I would want to step back two or three statements ago and just say mm-hmm. I actually think a lot of that was led by people who had a right heart for a harvest mm-hmm. and I would say practically I think there's some mistakes made here you know yeah. and again I would go back biblically if we start with our Bible and then we develop our theology I would say you know the church from day one was a called out community they were called out to mm-hmm. be separate and worship and walk with God and so when they mm-hmm. gathered it was Christians that gathered. Right. There was there was the body, there was the sacraments or ordinances, however you think about that. There were, yep. um, you know, it, it, it was to be a separate group of people. They, they really were. And, and right. when I say and that, I'm not, like, I'm, not, uh, I'm not going down some some Mennonite, am, you know, Anabaptist, fundamentalist, whatever term you like to say. That's not my point. I'm not talking about what it looks like. I'm saying... They were to be a separate people, a holy people, a walk with God. Right. And so, and, and they were to worship on the Lord's day. It was Christians right. worshiping, and that's what communion was about. And a discipline, you know, there was discipline in this community. Spiritual discipline, yep. And so to me, I would say, if I just go to my Bible and read this and try to study, I would say, first and foremost, if you want to say Sunday morning, let's just say Sunday morning, it's, it's for Christians. It, it, it is the place it is. that Christians gather. Now, it is. not Christians should come. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that... All right. We're not saying, sorry, you're not a no, Christian, can't I'm come. I'm glad no. the man has come to Christ and he's now bringing his wife and children that don't know Christ or vice versa. The woman comes to Christ. Right. Or, or people are checking out. That's great. But even as an evangelist guy, I would say, that's what's so funny to me. Like I would sit here as a guy that I would tell you, anybody gets around me, go, you know, cut me and I bleed evangelist. <laughs> I still think Sunday morning should be for Christians. Yeah. I actually do. And then and then as we depart from this place, we take the gospel to the world in all sorts of diverse ways. 
Older right. people reach my older people friends. You know, teenagers reach teenagers. I mean, there's all sorts of things that happen out of there. Yep. So I want to affirm that there were those that wanted to reach our world. That's a yep. good motivation. I would just say that practically there's some great problems with it. And I can and, and we and we're seeing the problems. People are clearly yep. seeing those. And so there's a sense in which every time you open up the word in, in another sense, you sort of are evangelizing, even though, you know, we want to be specific about the gospel message. But there's a mm. sense in which you're glorifying God by putting God out there in front of people. Mm. And so mm. even as Christians, when Christians meet, there's a statement being made. And I just think you live with that. But that's still mm. separate from this outward focus to let's now go to the world with this gospel and let's mm. be um, let's be active about that. Let's be uh, right. inten intentional about that. Let's be incarnational right. about that. So that would right. be the only little nuance discussion I'd have with some of my friends who even want the, the church as a whole to be this incarnational, let's not have pews and let's have a home church. I'd say, well, yes and no. Uh, I think there's a place for Christians to come together and center themselves on the word being proclaimed to them as a group and worshiping. It's only 60 or 90 minutes a week. Uh, but I don't mean that that should dismiss the incarnational aspect that most of my life is incarnational. That is, of course, I go be with Christians for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's what I want. I want to worship with you. But then I leave here and take the gospel to the world. Right. You know? Right. In fact, I heard an interesting thing recently, and I commented on it, and I usually don't always comment like online on this sort of thing. <laughs> Did I tell you this? I was listening to a guy. They were really upset about the government telling them they couldn't meet as a church. Now, I understand the constitutional concerned about that, by the way. Right, but I, right. I was just really surprised. This one pastor says, how are we going to be able to reach the people if we can't gather on Sunday morning? And, <laughs> and, and we're not going to be able to pray for people and we're not going to be able to heal people. And and again, I, he's a good hearted guy. I'm sure if I met him, he'd probably be a good friend, but I would just disagree. And like, dude, like they don't have to come to you on Sunday morning for you to reach. Your people are supposed to go reach them during the week. And so oh, early, early on in this pandemic crisis, I was like, come on, churches, relax a little bit. We're just trying to be good, loving neighbors in a, in a, you know, as citizens. It's okay if we don't gather for a couple of weeks and we try to contribute to this thing. Now, as it goes on, I realize now it, it starts ratcheting up into maybe a violation of our constitutional rights and all of that. And I fully right. understand that and I'm concerned about that. But, but early on, I was like, okay. You know, they're not telling you, a Christian, you can't worship Jesus and you can't worship God. They're just saying, can we kind of maybe not meet for a few weeks? <laughs> and people yeah, are like, yeah. well, how are we going to reach the world? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I would like to think that your people are out in the world, reaching the world every day, every week. <laughs> right. Oh, man. So, so yeah, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, let that be a wrap up for this episode. Um, and then our next episode, what we're going to get into then is methodology. Good. So you yeah. know, now we've we've already defined what evangelism is, who is supposed to do evangelism, what is who is the evangelist, uh, but now we're going to get into the methods. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's an important topic because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you have all sorts of ways that people you know try to say, oh, this is how you should share the gospel, this is how you should do evangelism, do my way, do this way. Um, can I can I give a, you, can I give a statement? Go, go for it. That's a setup. <laughs> Yeah, I want I want to ask the question, and then we'll come back to it. I want you, I want to ask, how do you live out the Pythagorean theorem? 
<laughs> yeah, there we go. So that is a setup for the topic I wa- of. I, I want you to. I want you to to uh, uh, share the Pythagorean theorem with your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh and, man! And oh, is that a setup? I, I hope that Dan's teasing us now. So yeah. tune in for episode three as we uh, yeah dive into methodology and evangelism. Um, and depending on how long we go on that, eventually too, we're going to get into, and we've, again, we've already teased this, but the, the role of the church and the role of the parachurch yeah. in the work of evangelism, how does that work? How does that dynamic work? Is, is one biblical is one unbiblical, you know, what's going on there? Yeah. So I really want us to look at that too. So that's, what's coming up. 